0: Good evening, all the hundreds and hundreds of you who are here tonight in person. <laughs> I, I think there is a vice presidential debate going on right now, and there that may be a reason why some people aren't here. So, uh, but it's still not not uh, a viable excuse to miss church. So you, you're you're right for being here for church. Good for you. We're glad you're here. Uh, thank you, Pastor Bob, for praying for the offering and. Uh, for the announcements. So we'll jump right into the message here. Uh, we are in Isaiah chapter 11 this evening. If you'd like to open up your Bibles, we wrapped up Isaiah chapter 10 last Wednesday night. <clears throat> and the all of Isaiah is online. If you want to go back and listen, starting in Isaiah chapter 1 to the expository verse by verse, chapter by chapter study that we've been doing here over the last several months, uh, at Calvary Visalia. You can go and listen to all of those messages if you miss them, starting in Isaiah chapter 1 through Isaiah chapter 10. Tonight we continue where we left off last Wednesday night, <clears throat> which is Isaiah chapter 11. And this is a wonderful, wonderful chapter with uh, promises of the future coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to come and to rule and reign over the earth. And so this is a wonderful, blessed promise of God here in Isaiah chapter 11. I've entitled this message, Thy Kingdom Come. Thy Kingdom Come. And let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the message tonight. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for giving us this place that we can meet Thank you, Lord, that the building is not the church, but the people are your church. We are your church. We are the members of your body, the body of Christ. And Father, we ask your blessing upon your word this evening. Bless all those who are here. Bless all those who are not here. Bless all those who are watching online and uh, speak to us through your word. Encourage us, Lord, as we see so much uh, difficulty and troubles all around us. Things seem to to be getting worse, actually, not better. And so, Lord, we just look to you for our hope and for our, our salvation, Lord. Our salvation is in you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 11. And as we have mentioned before, there were no chapter breaks in the original manuscripts. The Bible translators and scholars are the ones who broke up the manuscripts for us into chapters and verses to make it easier for us to study the Word of God. Uh, So Isaiah chapter 11 uh, is really a continuation of the message of Isaiah chapter 10, and it it runs right into it. So if you go back to Isaiah chapter 10, verse 33, the last couple of verses there of chapter 10, it kind of tees up what God is going to say here in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. We read this in Isaiah 10, 33, behold, the Lord... The Lord of hosts will lop off the bough with terror. Those of high stature will be hewn down, and the haughty will be humbled. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. And of course, this is the prophecy against Assyria. The Assyrians were going to become a threat to Judah. They were going to come and attack Judah after basically carrying away Israel. The ten northern tribes uh, of of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, were carried away into captivity by the Assyrians. And then the Assyrians turned and started to attack Judah and ultimately surrounded uh, Jerusalem. And so God was saying prophetically, When that happens, that he was going to defend Judah and he was going to cut them down. And you remember that uh, one angel uh, killed 185,000 of the Assyrian soldiers in one night. And then the king went back to Assyria with his tail between his legs from Jerusalem uh, and his sons uh, murdered him assassinated him the king of Assyria and that was pretty much the end of the dominion of the uh, empire the Assyrian empire because uh, Assyria came against Jerusalem and challenged God the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob so God was prophesying this destruction future destruction of Assyria at this time it it didn't happen for many many years after Isaiah wrote this uh, but they were going to be cut down like a forest and like a big forest of trees the big trees of Lebanon they were just going to be cut down and all you would have uh, are stumps left like a empty uh, uh, um, treeless forest just stumps everywhere the remnants of what was there no life, no future life for Assyria. Assyria never uh, was resurrected as a nation. But in contrast, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1 says, in contrast to this forest being cut down and nothing ever coming back from it, referring to Assyria, you have verse 1, there shall come forth a rod from the stem or the trunk or the root of Jesse, And a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, as Assyria was going to be cut down, as a forest cut down, there were also prophecies that the kingly line of Judah would also be cut off at one point. Although God had made an eternal promise to have one of David's seed, one of his sons on the throne forever, there was a curse at one point that was put upon the line of Judah. Uh, when the Babylonian captivity was about to happen and you had the wicked kings in Jerusalem at that time when Jeremiah the prophet was prophesying, uh, God said through the prophet Jeremiah that there would not be one of this king's sons to sit on the throne of Judah as a punishment to him. Uh, And so it's interesting if you go back and you study the genealogy of Jesus Christ, you see that the cursed line of the kings of Judah uh, was... that, that was Joseph's family, the stepfather of Jesus. You read about that in Matthew, the king there that was the king over Jerusalem during the captivity of Babylon, uh, that the curse was pronounced upon Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, was of that bloodline, that he was a direct descendant, Joseph was, uh, of that kingly line. But that was a cursed line. And so had Jesus been the biological son of Joseph, which of course he was not, He was the stepson of Joseph, but had he been the biological son of Joseph, it would have disqualified Jesus from being the king over Judah because that line was cursed by God. However, God had made a covenantal promise to Abraham, uh, to Isaac, to Jacob, and then to Judah, and then to David, that one of David's seed would sit on the throne forever. So how did God uh, uh, make that happen? How did he bring that to pass? Well, Mary was a direct descendant of another son of David. So David had the son uh, Solomon uh, uh, in addition to a whole bunch of other sons that David had because he had a bunch of wives. Uh, But that line of Solomon eventually became cursed of God. Uh, And so Mary was a descendant of another son of King David. I believe his name was Nathan. And so through David's son Nathan came Mary, through Mary's body, came the messiah jesus christ and so jesus is the messiah that was promised to israel and promised to david and so it's just amazing how god has uh, fulfilled these prophecies now uh we're told here in chapter 11 and verse 1 there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, you remember, and it was David uh, who God anointed. David was a man after God's own heart. God says that man looks at the outward appearance but God looks upon the heart when uh, the the prophet Samuel anointed David as the future king of Israel and Jesse was his father and so a rod is going to come forth from the stem uh, or the root or the trunk of Jesse And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And so this branch is speaking of the Messiah who is to come. Uh, In Jeremiah chapter 33, I'll read this to you. We have this, another prophecy from uh, Jeremiah here about this branch, this Messiah. Jeremiah 33 verse 14 says this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform... That good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And so this is a prophecy that was fulfilled when Jesus came, and it, he, it will be fulfilled completely when Jesus returns the second time uh, to execute judgment and righteousness on the earth, and where Judah will be saved, all of Judah will be saved. And all of Jerusalem will dwell safely. Uh, We remember that in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. uh, We were told that the virgin would conceive and bring forth the son. And she shall call his name Emmanuel. Which is translated as God is with us. And so we know that the one who would come would come through the virgin. Which Jesus came through the virgin Mary. Uh, And then in Isaiah chapter 9. Verses 6 and 7, we have the other prophecy that we've already come across here in this study, which talks about the Messiah, the one who's coming. For unto us a child is born, um, Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so God has laid it out. There's a promised king who's coming. God cannot break his promises. This king is going to come through a virgin Uh, which would be quite a sign because it's never happened before never never happened since just one time in all of human history so people would know this is the one Uh, and this would be David's descendant somebody from the literal physical uh, line of King David Uh, he's also called the branch here in Isaiah chapter 4 verse 2 you may recall we looked at that uh, earlier a few weeks ago, Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2 speaks of this one that's to come. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And so, just like we read in Jeremiah chapter 33, here in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2, God is speaking of this one who's going to come, who is called the branch. And we know that this is when the kingdom of God is going to come upon the earth. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that is when God's will will be done on the earth. Until Jesus comes back, man is in rebellion against God. This whole creation is under a curse. The whole creation groans. Romans eight chapter, uh, Romans chapter eight tells us the whole creation groans. It's under the curse of sin, and so uh, right now. Satan is the God of this world with a little g, but he is the ruler of this world according to Jesus. Jesus says he's the ruler of this world. He's the prince of this world. Paul said he's the God of this world who has blinded the mind of the unbelievers And so uh, God's will is not being done on the earth right now in general. Uh, As a matter of fact, it is the opposite of God's will that is being done on the earth. You, You know God's will by learning his word. And you see that man does about the opposite of what God says man is supposed to do in his word. But there will be a time when God's kingdom will come. When his king is going to return, his king is going to rule over this earth for 1,000 years and then after that for all eternity. And at that time, finally, his will is going to be done on the earth as his will is being done in heaven. And his will is always done perfectly uh, in heaven. One day his will will also be done here upon the earth Now, in Genesis chapter 15, God made this promise that one of Abraham's seed is going to come and is going to fulfill the prophecies and the promises that God had made to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, I'll read it to you. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir then he brought him outside and said look now toward heaven and count the stars if you were able to number them and he said to him so shall your descendants be and he believed the lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness and that word descendants is the word seed seed and so so shall your seed be and the promise in isaiah in genesis chapter 17 uh, I'm going to make establish my covenant between me and you. Your seed after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants or your seed after you. And so God was speaking about this seed, this Messiah who was going to come. Abraham's descendants would be like the stars of the heavens, like the sand of the seashore, without number, but there would be a seed that would come that would be the fulfillment of the prophecy, that one uh, who was going to take the throne of David, and rule over the earth uh, forever and ever. Paul the Apostle actually uh, gives us some understanding about this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, when he says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus." That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so, through the pr- blessing of Abraham to all the nations, the blessing came also to us, the Gentiles, uh, in addition to the Jews who received Jesus Christ as their Messiah, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And then he says this in verse 15 of Galatians 3. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed the promises were made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ." And so this is the promise of God. God had to bring a seed who would be the savior of the world through Abraham. We know that the promise was then passed to Isaac, Abraham's son Isaac, and then to Isaac's son Jacob. And then the king was going to come through Jacob's son Judah. So Judah was one of the 12 sons of Jacob whose name was changed to Israel. So we see this in the scriptures. There's a very fine uh, description and a fine line of of who the Messiah would be and exactly how the Messiah would come through which families in Israel. Uh, We know that David was of the line of uh, Judah or the family of Judah, the tribe of Judah. And so uh, the promise then passed from Judah, uh, the the line of the tribe of Judah that would have the scepter, David is the one who came and uh, uh, fulfilled that prophecy. And then God made the promise to David that there's going to be one of your seed that's going to come and he's going to have an eternal reign. He's going to have an everlasting throne. You remember the prophet Nathan came to David because David had wanted to build God a house, build him a temple. And God said, no, there's too much blood on David's hands. And so Nathan the prophet came and said, David, although God's not going to permit you to build a house because you're a man of war he says he's going to allow your son to build this house for him but he says God is going to build you a house David and one of your seed is going to sit on the throne of Judah forever and ever and so again all of this uh, was in the Old Testament it was confirmed to us in the New Testament that Jesus came and he fulfilled these prophecies Exactly. In Romans chapter 1, Paul the Apostle uh, made it very clear that Jesus was the Messiah that was to come, that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, Romans 1.1, called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born Of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus had to be from David's line, or he could not be the promised Messiah. Now it's interesting that there is no Jewish male who can come on the scene today and prove that he is of the Messianic line. Because all of the genealogical records of the Jews, which they kept meticulous genealogical records, the Jewish people did, of their families. Just read the Old Testament, read the Kings and the Chronicles, and see the genealogies that they kept, all the way back to Adam, actually. But those genealogies, those records, were destroyed in 70 AD in Titus' fires when the Romans were there besieging Jerusalem. And the temple was burned down. All the people that were in the temple were destroyed. Everything that was in the temple was burned. And so all of the genealogical records of the Jewish family trees all the way back to Adam were burned up with fire. So there is no one that could come on the scene since 70 AD and prove that they are of the genealogical bloodline of King David of the tribe of Judah. There's no one who could prove that. Uh, It's impossible to prove and that's because the one came uh, and was born of the Virgin Mary and he already came before 70 AD. So the records could be burned up because the Messiah already came and that prophecy has been fulfilled. In the book of Revelation... Uh, Jesus says this concerning himself about him being of the line uh, of David. He says in Revelation 22 and verse 16, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. So Jesus claims to actually precede david he says i'm the root of david which would indicate he came before david because of course jesus said before abraham was i am he's eternal he's always existed Uh, in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god he's always been around he's eternal and so he's the root of david he came before david and he is the offspring or the shoot that grew up from the trunk or the root of of David, the family, the genealogical family of David. I'm the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. And all of this is necessary if Jesus Christ is the Messiah of Israel. So back in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, there shall come forth a rod or a shoot from the stem of Jesse... And a branch shall grow out of his roots. It's interesting that some uh, Bible commentators tell us that the uh, Hebrew word for branch here is netzer. And they believe that that is where the word Nazarene actually comes from, is branch, netzer. And so uh, Jesus the Nazarene, he was called Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene. uh, But it's also the branch, netzer, that Jesus came in fulfillment of this prophecy In verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. You remember when he was baptized by his cousin, John, after uh, he came up out of the water and the spirit came down upon him as a dove and landed upon him, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then God the Father uh, spoke forth from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So you had God the Son being baptized, you had God the Holy Spirit descending upon him and filling him, and then you had God the Father testifying that this is my beloved Son. You have the Trinity right there uh, in the book of Matthew. And so he was filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no one who's ever been more filled with the Holy Spirit than Jesus. He had the fullness, the total fullness fullness of the perfection of the Holy Spirit upon him. The, the number seven is a number of fullness. It's a number of perfection. It's a number of completion. And you notice that you have seven aspects of the Spirit. He's the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. You have the sevenfold aspect of the Holy Spirit mentioned here. Now this is what is being talked about in the book of Revelation. And uh, sometimes the cults, you know, g- take, take some of these scriptures uh, that are unclear and then they run with them and create some false uh, uh, heretical doctrine out of it. But in the book of Revelation, it talks about... The seven spirits of God. And that's what is being referred to the fullness. The number of seven is the number of fullness or perfection or completion or totality. And so when we read, for example, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was. And who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne of God. This is what is being referred to. It's the sevenfold uh, fullness of the Holy Spirit. Again, in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1, and to the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars i know your works that you have a name that you are alive but you are dead and so there there aren't seven holy spirits we know that there's one holy spirit Uh, And so when it talks about this, it's kind of, it's kind of a little bit of an enigma, but it, it, it makes sense when you understand that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. There was seven attributes to the Holy Spirit in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and Jesus Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit. The sevenfold Spirit of God is the fullness or the completion or the perfection of the Holy Spirit in his life. In John and chapter 3 and verse 34, we read this concerning Jesus. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. So Jesus had the Holy Spirit upon him in his life without measure. He had the fullness of the Spirit upon him like nobody else has ever had. Uh, and so uh, it, it is. It is definitely the attribute and the characteristic of Jesus. Now it's interesting that we see the personality or the uh, character of the Holy Spirit here. He's the Spirit of the Lord. Again, Isaiah eleven two. He's the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, he is the Spirit of wisdom. He's the Spirit of understanding. He's the Spirit of counsel. He's the Spirit of might or power. He's the spirit of knowledge and he's the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So this is describing the character of Christ and the personality of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ, the fullness of the Holy Spirit uh, revealed to man through Jesus. It's interesting in verse 3 it talks about the fear of the Lord. It says his delight is in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of his ears. So uh, speaking of Jesus, his delight is the fear of the Lord. Uh, The fear of the Lord is an awesome thing. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. The fear of the Lord is a holy thing. As a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs and the Psalms tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the starting point to understand who God is and who you are in light of who God is. You're nothing and I'm nothing in light of who God is. And so it is good to revere and to fear the Lord and to reverence his holy name. We read in Proverbs chapter eight and verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. So this is the fear of the Lord and the child of, uh, of God is to be the one who walks in the fear of the Lord. Certainly Jesus uh, walked in the fear of the uh, of the Lord we're told, and the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, we must love the things that God loves, and we must hate the things that God hates uh, in first Peter to the church, Peter says this in first Peter chapter one and verse fourteen about how we ought to uh um, revere and reverence the Lord. He says, as obedient children first peter one fourteen Not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here on the earth, in fear we are called to fear the Lord and to hate evil and hate the things that God hates and love the things uh, that God loves he continues he says knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot and so we are to be those who walk in obedience to the fear of the Lord in obedience to his word loving what he loves hating what he hates because we are his people therefore we should reflect his ideas we should reflect his heart and reflect his will and his mind again in Isaiah eleven three, his delight is in the fear of the Lord he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes Nor decide by the hearing of his ears. So uh, he's going to delight in the fear of the Lord, and then he's going to be a righteous judge. Jesus is going to bring perfect judgment to the earth, he's going to bring perfect justice to the earth. Man always corrupts everything that man does, our judicial system is completely bankrupt. Uh, in our country, I mean there, there are some good judges left, but for the most part, our whole judicial system is totally bankrupt it 's totally corrupted, as is true around the world and really uh, almost always has been when you get a bunch of people together and you get a judge who gets to decide what happens and you know who gets in trouble and who gets off scot free or who gets the inheritance of a plot of land when someone dies. Uh, those men can often be, and women, corrupted. They can be bribed. Uh, they, they can favor the rich because they want to have favor with the rich and they could disfavor the poor and so forth. Uh, but not when Jesus Christ comes back, the righteous judge. It says that when he comes, he's not going to judge by the sight of his eyes or what he sees nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Right now, our judicial system is based on eyewitness testimony, evidence and eyewitness testimony in a court of law. Uh, two or three witnesses and so forth. But witnesses can lie. People can 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 not know what happened. They could think they saw something, but they were wrong and so forth. And so, it, it, it brings flawed justice because man is the one testifying to what has happened. Uh, and, and now God is saying he's not going to judge by what he sees or what he hears from others. He is going to judge because he knows everything he has perfect knowledge no one has to tell him anything Jesus knows everything and so he will judge perfectly righteously uh, because uh, he knows the hearts of all men we read in John chapter 2 verse 24 John tells us this about Jesus but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men he had no need that anyone should testify a man for he knew what was in man. In other words, Jesus could read people's minds. Jesus knew people's hearts. So you couldn't fool him. You couldn't mislead him. You couldn't lie to him or deceive him because he knows you and he knows me. So he's gonna be a perfect righteous judge when he returns to the earth and sets up his kingdom. He's gonna judge this world in perfect Righteousness. And everyone will know that what his judgment is, is right and true. Even if they don't agree with it, it's going to be right and it's going to be true. It's interesting that Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that the word of God uh, is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it's even able to discern between the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, that God's word can expose and reveal our hearts to us and our minds, things that maybe we're even deceiving ourselves about. God's word is like a mirror that reveals the truth to us. Well, Jesus Christ is the word of God personified. The word became flesh. The word incarnate and so he will judge in righteousness, knowing the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. He continues in verse 4 of Isaiah 11. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. You know, the poor often uh, get a bad deal. You know, the poor often are taken advantage of, the widows and the orphans. God always has his eye on the poor, the widows and the orphans, because uh, they have a tough go in this world. Uh, and, And so, this is going to be equal justice for everyone at this time. With righteousness, He's going to judge everyone, even the poor. You know, in most cultures, the the the, the judges and the judicial systems and the governments of the world they don't care about the poor because what what can the poor do for them? Uh, but Jesus, He loves the poor. He identifies with the poor. Uh, He says he'll decide with equity for the meek, you know, the meek of the earth. Jesus was meek and lowly uh, and humble of heart. And he is going to show no favoritism. There will be no corruption uh, in the judicial system at this time. He will judge righteously. All of his judgments will be right and true. And no doubt, there will be no more lawyers at this time uh, needed. And thank God. uh, So the lawyers will be done. A matter of fact, there's a lot of jokes about lawyers being in hell. Uh, you just ask lawyers. They'll tell you all the jokes about the lawyers in hell. So, uh, but uh, hopefully there'll be some lawyers in heaven too. But we won't need lawyers in heaven, thank God. Uh, and we won't need lawyers anymore when Jesus Christ is the king and he's the judge and he's ruling and reigning. So he says after this that he's going to judge righteously and uh, he's not going to judge by the sight of his eyes or or the hearing of his ears but with righteousness he's going to judge. It says he's going to strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Now in Psalms chapter 2 we have this prophecy of the Messiah this king who's going to come who's called here the son of God and this is what this prophecy uh, is is talking about in psalm chapter two i'll read it to you psalm two verse one it says why do the nations rage or the the gentile nations literally why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the lord And against his anointed or his Messiah. Saying let us break their bonds in pieces. And cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath. And distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion or Jerusalem. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. This is a prophecy of Jesus Christ when he comes back to set up his kingdom. He's going to judge the kings of the earth. He's going to judge the Antichrist and the kings of the earth that made the Antichrist their ruler and their leader. All these corrupt kings and kingdoms and judges at the time of the Antichrist. Jesus is going to come back and he is going to dash them to pieces. He's going to judge them. He's going to break them with a rod of iron. He's going to dash them to pieces like a potter's Vessel. Jesus came the first time as a baby. The second time he comes back, he's going to come back in his resurrected body as the eternal God man in his resurrected body, riding on the white horse, Revelation 19 tells us. Uh, And he is going to come back as the lion of the tribe of Judah in wrath and in judgment. The first time he came as a lamb. The second time he comes back, it will be as a lion in wrath, in judgment to uh, balance the scales of justice truly once and for all, and to make everything right for the first time since the Garden of Eden here on planet Earth. And so the instruction to everyone who's reading this is be wise, all of you kings, be instructed, all you judges, those who were rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the sun, or worship the sun, or bow down to the sun, or reverence the sun, lest he be angry and you perish <clears throat> in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. So uh, this, is, this is speaking of the return of Jesus Christ in judgment at the end of the tribulation period. It's interesting, we read uh, again back in Isaiah chapter 11. And verse 5, we're told, Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins. And faithfulness, the belt of his waist. And so it's, it's, this is really just telling us about the Messiah written hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ. 700 and some odd years before Christ was even born. And it's talking about his character, his nature, his attributes. Righteousness shall define him. It shall be the belt of his loins. And faithfulness, the belt of his waist. Now we read in Revelation chapter 19 about this Uh, Messiah Jesus Christ who's coming back Revelation chapter 19 I'll read this to you starting in verse 11 and I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many diadems or crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies uh, in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations." And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Referring to Psalm chapter 2 and Isaiah chapter 11. For he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Verse 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Again, this is the second coming of Christ In judgment upon the Antichrist, the kings that have allied themselves with the Antichrist, and all of the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel. When Jesus returns, they're going to go to meet him for war, and he is going to destroy them with the sword that proceeds forth from his mouth. His word is the sword of the Spirit that is going to destroy his enemies. You notice again that we're told that he is uh, righteous And he is faithful, that he uh, has a name written, uh, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Uh, He is called Faithful and True, and in Righteousness, verse 11, he judges and he wages war. So again, all of these prophecies... They were written hundreds of years before Christ and there's still future for us. I think we're getting closer uh, to these prophecies fulfillment and, and it could be in our lifetime that Jesus Christ returns. We're certainly going to destroy ourselves if he doesn't come back and save us. Uh, we're going to end up destroying ourselves here on this planet. So I hope he comes soon uh, and, and he will come soon. Uh, hopefully it'll be in our lifetimes. If not, uh, it'll be soon after that, I think. So righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, faithfulness the belt of his waist. All referring to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, when he returns. So after he comes back and he judges the earth, he's going to set up his kingdom. And here's what his kingdom is going to look like. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall die, lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and the fat lean together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's den or the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. So once Jesus comes, he makes everything right. He judges righteously and sets up his kingdom here on the earth. And he rules in faithfulness, in justice, in righteousness, and in truth upon the earth. Uh, Things are going to go back to how they were Uh, prior to the fall of man. It's going to be like the curse is is paused or the curse is put on hold uh, or the curse is reversed here on the earth for this thousand years when Jesus is ruling and reigning upon the earth. Again, this is the answer to the prayer when we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is when this is going to happen and then God's will is going to be done on the earth as it is in heaven and nature is then going to be in perfect harmony with God and with each other as was the case Prior to sin entering into the world. And uh, you know, skeptics will say, well, lions aren't gonna eat uh, uh grass. Look, I see my dog, who's a border collie, eating grass whenever he wants to. I mean, I think it's the cutest thing because I always think of this passage of scripture. You'll see your cat eating grass, your dog eating grass. Uh, you know, bears will eat grass and they'll eat shoots and they'll eat berries. Panda bears, which are huge, powerful animals, they eat bamboo shoots. They don't. They're 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 not. Uh, they're they're vegetarians primarily, uh, though. Although they're they're probably om- omnivorous and they would eat meat also. But primarily, panda bears all they eat uh, is is shoots and they eat leaves and so forth. And so, uh, it's not a stretch of the imagination to imagine that animals now are not going to be wild anymore, as it was before the fall in the Garden of Eden. And the animals then did not eat each other. They ate plants, we're told, uh, in in Genesis. And so it's going to be that again, where nature is in perfect harmony with each other, because nature is going to be under the perfect harmony and the rule of God for the first time since uh, man uh, gave the rule of this earth to the devil when, he, when man disobeyed God in the garden of Eden. The vertical always has to be right. You have to have harmony with God vertically before you can have harmony with man horizontally. And so this is going to be for the whole world. There's going to be perfect harmony with God because God is going to be ruling and reigning over the earth in righteousness and in justice. And the result is going to be peace on the earth and goodwill toward man. And even the animals are going to get along with each other. And little children will be able uh, to play, as it were, by the cobra's den or by uh, the viper's nest. In Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah uh, spoke about this. We read it uh, several weeks ago, maybe a few months ago now. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. The word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem verse 4 he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war any more that's what the kingdom is going to look like when jesus christ comes back it's going to happen All of the other prophecies have been fulfilled. These are prophecies that will also be fulfilled. They're going to take their their budgets for war and their weapons of war and they are going to convert all of the uh, budgets that were going to war into defense and they're going to put it toward agriculture at this time and no one is going to go hungry anymore. Everyone will have everything that they need uh, at this time when King Jesus is ruling uh, over The earth. We read also in Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 18 about this time. Isaiah has a lot to say actually about the the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 65 and verse 18 says this But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old. But the sinner, being one hundred years old, shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands." Verse 23, they shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is what's coming for planet Earth. And you wonder, you say, well, are there going to be babies born during this time? Yeah, there are going to be babies born during this time. uh, Because there are going to be people that are going to survive the tribulation period. There won't be many, but there will be some who do not take the mark of the beast, the ones who did good to God's people, Israel. Jesus talks about that in the parable in Matthew 25, Uh, about the king coming and setting the goats on his left hand, the sheep on his right hand. He tells the sheep, you know, those who did good to him and to his people, whenever you did this to the least of these my people, visited them in prison, they were thirsty, and you gave them water hungry, you gave them food to drink. He says, when you've done this for the least of these my people, so you've done it to me, enter into the joy of the kingdom. And then to those on his left, the goats, he says, when you refused to visit me when I was in prison, and and, and feed me when I was hungry, and clothe me when I was naked, and, and give me drink when I was thirsty. They said, when did we see you hungry thirsty naked and in prison and did not do these things he said when you did not do this for the least of these my people you did not do it for me therefore uh, they were to go into a place of judgment speaking of hell but those who he allows into the kingdom who survived the tribulation period There won't be that many of them, but there are some who will survive the tribulation period uh, who did not take the mark of the beast and who helped his people Israel during the tribulation period were kind to his brethren, the Jews. They will enter into the millennial kingdom in their human bodies. We will have our resurrected bodies. We will be with Jesus in heaven. We'll be coming back with him on white horses, I believe, in Revelation chapter 19. We're the saints, the army, dressed in fine linen, uh, white and clean, the, the, the garments of the bride of Christ, coming back with him in judgment. We're not going to have to fight. He's going to wipe out the devil, the antichrist, uh, the false prophet, the beast, and all the rest. He's going to Bind the devil for a thousand years, or Michael the Archangel is going to bind the devil for a thousand years in the bottomless pit with the chain, we're told. Uh, and so it's going to be perfect on the earth for a thousand years. We're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ, and there will be people who are going to be repopulating the earth for a thousand years. And a child is going to live. If, if someone dies at a hundred, they're going to say he was an infant. Uh, he says, You're going to live, your life is going to be like the life of a tree. My goodness, there are trees that live 2,500 years. You know, trees just go on and on and on, especially the big trees. Uh, and so he says, you're gonna, you're gonna wear out the works of your hands. You're gonna build houses and the houses are gonna fall apart before you fall apart because it's gonna be the perfection uh, of the kingdom of God when Jesus is ruling and reigning God's will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven and so there will be children who will be born to them the tragic thing tragic thing is is that in revelation chapter 20 we're told that Satan is released after 1000 years to test All of these people that have been on the earth under the reign of Jesus Christ in their human bodies for a thousand years living in a perfect world where there's no needs. They don't have any wants or needs. Everything is perfect when Jesus is ruling and reigning for a thousand years and yet they're still going to overwhelmingly, by the billions, rebel against Jesus Christ again, come to Jerusalem and try to overthrow Jesus. And Jesus is going to obliterate them, wipe them out, and he's going to cast the devil into the lake of fire at that time. And then that's the end. And then he sets up the great white throne judgment, and then he creates the new heavens and the new earth, wherein righteousness dwells. So again, back in Isaiah, in chapter 11, in verse 9, Speaking of the millennial reign of Christ, he says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains. Speaking of Jerusalem. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, do the waters cover the sea? They sure do. The waters cover every part of the sea. That's what makes it the ocean. The waters cover the sea. And so that's how the earth is going to be. Like the waters cover the sea. So the knowledge of the Lord is going to be that way on the earth. Everyone is going to know God personally at that time. As a matter of fact, we read in Jeremiah chapter 31. Speaking of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31. I'll read this to you. Jeremiah says this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, speaking of the covenant of the law. Verse 33, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law on their minds. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The national salvation for Israel is coming. And uh, this is the promise of God. And at that time, uh, everyone's going to know the Lord. The knowledge of the Lord is going to fill the earth like the oceans uh, are filled with the sea. The waters are filled uh, uh, by the sea. He continues in verse 10. He says, in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner or a signal to the people For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. And so there were Old Testament prophecies of God saving the Gentiles too, not just the Jews. God is going to save the Jews, and all of Israel will be saved, according to Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 11. Uh, And also, uh, God is going to reach the Gentiles. For the Gentiles shall seek him. And his resting place shall be glorious when the root of Jesse, speaking of Jesus Christ, will stand as a signal or a banner to the peoples. Verse 11. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea, He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And the envy of Ephraim shall depart and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. Ephraim. And so God is speaking about a future where the kingdoms are united. Remember that at this time the kingdoms were divided. There was a kingdom in Israel. There was a kingdom in Judah. There was a king in Israel. There was a king in Judah. Two nations. The nation's uh, divided after Solomon's son Rehoboam took the throne and 10 northern tribes became another, another nation. They became Israel. 10 southern tribes became Judah. So Ephraim is another name for Israel. Uh, and Judah, of course, is Judah. And so God is saying they're not going to be warring with each other anymore at this time. They're going to have peace with each other. Ephraim's not going to be jealous of Judah. Judah's not going to harass uh, Ephraim. And God says, I'm going I'm to take my people from all over the world And bring them back to the land. And so he's speaking of the uh, regathering of all of his people. The assembly of the outcasts of Israel in this day. He continues in verse 14. But they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab... And the people of Ammon shall obey them. These were all their ancient enemies who were always giving them trouble, attacking them, going to war with them, and so forth. And often they would lose those wars because they were in sin and rebellion against God. Uh, But God says, no, no more. At that time, you're going to be the one who is in charge. You're going to be the one who is laying your hand on Edom, Moab, and the people of Ammon. uh, And and they'll, they'll obey them. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the Sea of Egypt... With his mighty wind, he will shake his fist over the river and strike it into seven streams and make men cross over dry shod. Verse 16, there will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel in the day That he came up from the land of Egypt. So God is talking about this. The future plans for Israel. uh, And and for Israel's neighbors. And for Israel's descendants. All of the uh, sons of uh, of Isaac. And and, and Jacob. And and how it's going to be with the sons of Ishmael. And Esau. And. And it's finally going to be peace in the Middle East. There will never be peace, true peace in the Middle East until Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning over the earth. There will never be peace. Satan is going to come. His man, the Antichrist, is going to forge an alliance with the Jews, pretend to be their friend, and then betray them in the middle of a seven-year covenantial period. Uh, And and so he's going to bring a false peace, not a true peace. But when Jesus comes, the Prince of Peace is going to rule over the earth and there will be peace on earth and goodwill toward man. So it's a wonderful, beautiful future for the Jews, for Israel, and really for all of the descendants of them and the population of the earth. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for your promises in your word. We thank you that your word is true, that you cannot lie. We see, Lord God, all of these prophecies, and we see them uh, even possibly being fulfilled in our lifetimes. It's amazing to see how close we must be to your return. And we thank you for allowing us to live in these days, Lord. We know these are troublesome days. These are difficult days. You said that in the last days, perilous times would come. Uh, And indeed, Lord, we are living in perilous times. So uh, we we pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you would encourage us, Lord, that we would come to know you in a more personal, in a deeper way. Lord, we thank you that we know you now through the new covenant, even as all the world and all of Israel will know you at at that time in that day. We know you now personally, Lord. We're part of your new covenant now because of Jesus Christ, your son. We are those where your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven, as we allow you to rule over our hearts, your will is being done in our lives. And so your kingdom has come for us. We thank you that your kingdom is going to come for all creation on this day. Help us to remain faithful and true to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Email us at podcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to California.